strategic networks and cultivating new skill sets and knowledge acquisition is just key to growth, whether you're female or male. If you're trying to move yourself forward, how are you going to add value? And always be thinking about that on a daily basis because to the extent, like you mentioned, you know, getting to a place where you're not growing is not a very healthy place to be. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capital World City Center with my guest, Deanna Young, Managing Director of Opportune and President-Elect on the Board of the Directors for the Women's Energy Network Houston Chapter. How are you this afternoon? Great. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Happy to be here. Great. Before getting into it, I wanted to ask the audience, as always, please support the show. Leave me a review on iTunes and I'll read it on the air. Deanna, let's discuss how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. So kind of just the history of how I got started just in business in general. Kind of grew up always thinking I was going to be in business, but not really sure which direction I was going to go. And ended up going to Stephen F. Austin undergrad, decided I was going to get into business and I guess I needed to market something. Right. but didn't really know what I was going to market. And I kind of went down that path only to find out that, gosh, after putting myself through two and a half years of school, I probably wasn't going to get a job as a marketing major. Lumberjacks, right? Yeah, go Jacks. Absolutely. And so I kind of thought long and hard. One of the objectives is if you go to college, you want to get a job. Yeah. So I uh, talked to, you know, different people in my network and people that knew me and they said, you should try accounting. Well, if you really know me, you probably would recognize that that's not probably the end all be all for me, but it was a great, it was a great step. I um, actually dropped all my marketing classes, took my first two accounting classes and ended up with a job and a scholarship within the first semester. Wow. Yeah. So I can do the work, but in terms of strengths and liking it, not so much. Yeah. I'm right there with you. (laughs) Math is not my, my high point. I, you know, it's the detail and it's the day in and day out that gets me. So my strengths don't play to that very well. I like to see and do a lot of different things. And so one of the things that was good about moving into accounting for me is that Deloitte and Touche at the time mm-hmm. recruited heavily on campus. And so I had the opportunity to go do a public accounting career conference and with the Deloitte folks here in Houston. And that led me down the path to be in accounting for Deloitte. Okay. And so ultimately, my first client was Enterprise Products. So I was on a huge audit team. It was the largest, actually third largest client in the office. And there I was in energy and accounting and kind of finding my way as a staff person in public accounting. So you got a little taste of it. Yeah, a little bit there. And, you know, one of the things, you know, you find in just being in Houston, it's so, I mean, it's so dominant and it's the energy quarter of the world. Oh, yeah. And so you're going to, you're going to touch it in some form or fashion. So I had the opportunity to, to work, work at Deloitte for several years. And then I ended up moving on into actually away from energy. I went into more of a valve manufacturing organization, but they serve the energy industry. So even if you moved into manufacturing, you know, typically if you're here in Houston, you're going to be 
serving the energy industry in some form or fashion. Right. So kind of moved in that direction, had the opportunity to travel the world and, and do some different things with, with Keystone. And then ultimately they got bought by Tyco and I started to rethink kind of which direction I wanted to go. Um, Did that scare you, that acquisition model? Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, being so young in your career, first of all, you don't really expect those things to happen because you've never experienced them. You don't right. have that unless your parents or, you know, your your family was impacted growing up, which mine hadn't been in that respect. So it was interesting to kind of go through that process, but then to start to evaluate what was it that I really wanted to do and how could I take, you know, the accounting finance background, the network that I built in public accounting, and what what would I how would I move that forward? So I ultimately kind of took a little bit of step towards marketing and ended up going into more of a business development role where I was working with energy companies, but helping them kind of develop their talent teams and how they were going to build their organizations over the future, you know, outcome. And so at that point, I worked, I kind of worked at the smaller boutique firm and then just built a lot of connections within the energy industry. We were working for companies like Coke Industries and Enron and yeah. Dynagy and all the energy companies. So really my whole career. So has, you spent a lot of time downtown Houston. Yes, <laughs> I did. And until I started my own company and I put the office in the Galleria area. So then I moved away from downtown, but right. now I sold that and I'm back downtown. I actually had to learn how to drive downtown again because you're not used to people walking on the streets. As right. Well. But yeah, so, you know, after moving, you know, serving those energy clients from more of a talent management standpoint and acquisition standpoint, I ultimately created my own firm. And a lot of my large clients in my network was all energy related. And so that led to, you know, continuing to develop those networks and then ultimately selling that business. And I decided I wanted, kind of wanted to leverage my, what I had kind of learned and what I had built. And so I went back to, to grad school and had the opportunity to go to Rice and do their executive MBA program, which was probably about 85% of the the folks there were all out of the energy industry. Right, yeah. So you just, I think part of it is being in Houston, you're just kind of living and breathing energy. Right. uh, Without a doubt. And so with the opportunity, you know, interesting story there, and I think we'll talk about these, some things that I'm really passionate about is, you know, building and cultivating networks. And really the reason why I'm at Opportune is because, of my Deloitte days when I was working with David Baggett, who's now the founder of Opportune, we, you know, stayed in contact that pretty much my whole career. And ultimately, I'm working with him and have been for the last five, six years at Opportune and really just helping Opportune grow to be, you know, what our mission and vision is. One is to add value to the energy industry. And then two, just to be the premier energy consulting firm out there. Yeah. So other than you know, trying to figure out exactly what you wanted to do as a woman also in this industry. What are some of the challenge and tribulations you really had to yeah. incur? And, and A couple things, you know, when I think about it, and I've just been and now being so active with the WEN, Women's Energy Network, I think a big part of women in energy, one is there are just fewer women because there were fewer women that went into that pipeline of talent early on. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of what, you know, I believe that's helped me move forward is just continuing to to grow, one, my network, and then two, my education, right? Yeah. I just don't think anybody can ever get stuck where they're not 
cultivating new networks, which is an asset yeah. uh, to you, which people don't typically start to think about that until they've lost their job. And then they're yeah. scrambling around for, where's my network? Well, if you didn't build it, it's not going to be there. Right. And then two, your education and your experiences. I think sometimes, I think constraints, you know, your own personal, maybe willingness, lack of willingness to get out there and try new things, fear of failure, all of those things, I think. Well, uh, just being complacent, you know. Absolutely. And that hurt you. Is it, absolutely. And I think maybe getting distracted with things on a personal front can kind of take you off path too. And so I think you continue to have to build and grow and develop in order to move yourself forward. And again, I think just being in the energy industry and being a woman, you're just naturally in a smaller, you know, talent pool of women because fewer women went into the energy industry. Right. And that was even the case for accounting before I started. There were fewer women in accounting. And really? Oh, yeah. And it was 80% men, 20% women. And now that's evolved to be, you know, probably 60, 60% women, 40% men. So I think it's women kind of finding their way and, and understanding that there are different roles out there. I know for us at Win, we are really targeting STEM education. Right. Yeah, and the young women. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Empowered, of, right? Young, yeah, young women energized. Energized, that's right. Yeah, we call that YWE. And that, that program is 16 years in the makes and has been, you know, refined and evolved over time. And I ac- a, yeah, actually, inter- I uh, volunteered for that a couple of years ago. Oh, and how, Yeah. Yeah, so it's up for an award. This week, we're going to find out if we get the Outreach of the Year Award, I believe, by World Oil Magazine. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So keep your fingers crossed. Yeah. The, the Con- ladies, congratulations yeah, on the nomination. There, right? Yeah. It's between us and I think a program at Saudi Aramco. Oh. So it's a, <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of up there in the big leagues. Yeah, so that's say. impressive. So, you know, I think that's a big part of it. You know, when I think about men and women coming together to help overcome the lack of women at the table is really starting with these young girls in seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade and really encouraging them and helping develop those skills and get them ready to go in and be the problem solvers, the innovators, the scientists, the creators value in the energy space and chain, you know, value chain. Yeah. So with respect to Young Women Energized, again, that is just a targeted program to help fill the pipeline so that as we move into future generations and hiring talent and there's just more women in the mix. The other thing that I've heard about, you know, just in different conversations I've had with other executives, my own experiences, is women have tended maybe not to value their networks as much. Why do you think that is? I think it's because we maybe think in a way where we keep we have kept our personal life very separate from our professional life. Whereas I think men have always kind of intermingled those. They'll go on trips with their friends that are also their business partners or their business strategic uh, ventures and so forth. So I think that there's a little bit more of merging those two worlds together. And that allows you to cultivate you know, personal and professional connections that are part of your circle that help move you forward. You know, one of the things that when for another program that 
we've launched is executive circles. So we've got roughly 85 to 90 executive level women that are in our executive program. And just over the years, you just see people kind of coming in and leaving. They'll come listen to a speaker and they leave and you don't see as much connection and being created. And so we're really trying to drive that in terms of creating a platform where smaller groups can get together because that's of, my kind of setting is a, a smaller group, yeah. get to know everybody versus, hey, I'm surrounded by a bunch of people I don't know. That kind of freaks me out. Absolutely. Right. I think that's just natural tendencies. Everyone has their own kind of DNA yeah. and how their makeup is. Some are really strong relationship builders and they're extroverted in nature and they're out there. Others are, are like, more like me, introverted. and uh, Exactly. Just want to kind of be with those people that you know and you trust. And you, it's hard to expand beyond that. And so I think there has to be a little bit of effort there. And regardless of what your strengths are and kind of what you bring to the table is how are you going to cultivate those connections in a meaningful way? And right. we work with our teams a lot at Opportune. And you know, one of the, the great things that Opportune brings to the table is the fact that we are very relational, and we do cultivate those deeper connections, and, and that's how we become a, a trusted advisor to so many companies and so many executives in the marketplace. And that's why we got called in, you know, gosh, multiple times over other firms that maybe had a different skill set because we knew the energy space, and that's what we do. And so, you know, I think you have to continuing continue to develop you know, those connections. And I think women have just struggled a little bit with that. But it's interesting because over the 18 months that I've been on the board, or it's almost two years now on the board for Women's Energy Network, we've grown from 4,500 members to 6,500 members. Wow. And this is across the U.S. and Mexico. So I just feel like there's momentum going into 2020. I feel like women are valuing those networks and those connections more so than we ever have. And I think really seeing that, you know, the power of being able to learn from others and share challenges and opportunities that, you know, you can't really do that when your male counterparts, they, they don't have the same challenges and, you know, obstacles at different times. And that's just based on, you know, different DNA and yeah. how, how, we, how we come to the table, very different. But I know that all, you know, the research out there talks so much about diversity of thought. And when you think about putting a group of people around the table that have a diverse kind of mindset and they bring different experiences. I think, you know, that will outnumber performance wise often hand tenfold over, you know, kind of people have common backgrounds and histories and so forth. So again, just continuing kind of down the path of building connections and developing those strategic relationships. Another area that I've really gotten involved with and I'm just really grateful to be a part of Opportune because they've come along and support the effort with Junior Achievement. So I'm on the executive committee for Junior Achievement in the for the Southeast area. And so I've built a lot of great connections there. And the whole uh, focus for Junior Achievement is very similar in that they're working with children really from, gosh, third grade through senior and high school and workforce readiness third grade yeah they start programs yeah it may even be a little bit a little bit younger but it's all about how are you going to manage yourself after you you know when you're on your own yeah because us parents can only do so much 
you know? Well, and in a lot of these areas that are targeted, that maybe the parents don't have the skill sets to teach about cash flow management. Right. And just things that are outside of what they know and have done for many years. And some, some of the children that, that we work with don't leave their neighborhoods. They stay in their kind of circle and they don't really know what's kind of out there in terms of other opportunities and just lack of from a lack of exposure exposure to and just ability to get out and kind of go beyond their comfort zones really and just examples of kids when they've gotten the opportunity to work with different people at junior achievement it's all about shat, you know job shadowing and teaching them certain lessons around managing again budgets and you know, buying houses and how that works when you move into life after school and really focus on educational attainment and showing them the differences between when you take a path that gets you a certain level of education, you're going to have certain opportunities that are available to you. So we've done quite a bit of work with junior achievement. And again, that is heavily supported by the energy industry. So it's just fun to be a part of an organization like that and then to work for a firm that actually comes along and wants to make such a difference in the community and support those kind of efforts. I've had the opportunity to work with just some of the brightest and most talented CEOs, senior executives in the energy space. Dave Stouffer right now is the chairman of the board for Junior Achievement, and Greg Ebel and Greg Garland were, were former chairman of the boards as well, and they you know, lead Philip 66, Greg Garland, and then Greg Ebel is the chairman of the board for Enbridge. So it's just neat to to be in the room. A little bit of everybody. It is. And uh, watching the community come together to support helping young kids get where they need to be. And and really, it's about filling the talent pipeline. Yeah. And that's that's the impact. Well, especially right now. I mean, with all the things that happened after the downturn, everybody's running very lean. And then that whole negativity around that kind of kept people from going, hey, I should do, I should get into that industry yeah so that's looking hopeful for sure yeah and I you know one of the things when I've worked with talent over the years just multiple levels and I just really try to get people to focus in on the two things that you can control because you cannot control the market you cannot control decisions that are made at your company necessarily but you can control how you develop yourself what type of education you go out and invest in how you learn from other people, what types of projects you're willing to raise your hand for, and just what type of kind of portfolio of work you're going to be able to say, hey, this is what I can do. And then the other thing, as we've been talking about, is just how are you going to cultivate your network? That is your asset. It goes on your balance sheet, just like your cash in the bank. Yep. And I just want so much for people to realize that it's so important to create a mutual kind of depth in the relationship because you don't want to be taking all the time. You want to figure out how to, you know, give, give and and help others get to where they want to go as well. And so that all needs to be cultivated nonstop. I mean, you you start all that when you're in high school, developing connections. Right. It's one thing Opportune is going to be doing, I guess, coming up here in November, we're going to support kind of the presenting sponsor for one of Junior Achievement's capstone projects. And it's basically a whole entrepreneurship program for high school students and it's going to be at Rice University and it's like it's designed as like a business plan pitch contest with a shark tank and kind of thinking okay. around okay these kids are going to come up with a business plan they're going to present it they're going to have to get capital pitch deck. Yeah. yeah it's like 
they're going to be judged on it. And I'm just super excited to be a part of that. And I'm going to get to interview either a panel of entrepreneurs or I'll be uh, interviewing kind of super entrepreneur, one of the folks they're trying to lock down here in Houston. And so it's, I just think about those young kids being able to get exposure to those concepts and those ideas and being able to start thinking now, how are they going to add value to the community and into to their network and what are they going to bring to the table and how are they going to create and be innovative and starting those kinds of getting those mindsets in place now is just makes you know makes those children more impactful for the future oh yeah absolutely and so for obviously not everyone knows what opportune does would you mind uh absolutely so opportune typically the way we like to present it is it's a blend between a public accounting firm like a deloitte and an Accenture model. Okay. So we have 300 professionals across the United States. Our main offices are here in Houston. We have, actually have two offices in Houston, Denver, Dallas, Tulsa. We have a couple of kind of satellite offices in, in New York and some other places. Mm-hmm. But really, we, you know, from how our business is kind of structured, we have three kind of, I guess, pillars per se. We have our whole finance transaction-oriented side of the house, which would be our complex financial reporting, our tax, our valuation practice. So really, anytime there's a transaction in the marketplace, we're able to come in and provide the expertise, whatever it takes to kind of get that transaction done. We don't do audit. We have developed a investment a banking practice going to serve the middle market, and we're, we're building that now. We've also acquired a reserve engineering practice, which when private equity firms are looking to buy assets and they need valuations of those reserves in the ground, we've got the resources on on staff to help with that. Very helpful. Yeah, along along with, you know, all the financial CPAs, technical-minded folks. You know, one thing I've always loved about Opportune and talking about more entrepreneurial in nature is the vision has always been how do we add value, not so much how do we grow. And so when we are working with clients and they say, wow, it would be great if you guys could bring these skill sets to the table, so that we didn't have to go outside of the firm to get those things done. And then, you know, we're out there looking at a reserve engineering. That came through a conversation with a private equity firm that was needing those skill sets. And so we started to explore, well, that would be a great way to add value to the private equity space. You know, so that's about a third of our practice. And then the other, another third would be our process and technology okay. uh, group, which just looks a lot like Accenture, comes in and uh, works with organizations when they're looking at business uh, system selections, implementations, process design, mergers and acquisitions, you know, right. things are acquired and how do we get them up and running on, you know, certain systems and yeah. really working with kind of the CIO suite there. That's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> that is not what I was built to do. But, but we have a lot of really talented people that know how to do that, and more so than anyone in the market. And then we also have an outsourcing practice. So that's another third of our business, okay. an outsourcing practice that serves the upstream market, where, again, it really has been valued highly by our, the private equity space. They'll go buy assets. They don't necessarily buy people. We've got the whole back office again, basically get those assets off of the seller systems onto our systems and up and running and all the accounting and, and reporting can be done very, very quickly, probably within, you know, 60 to 90 days. That's not bad. Yeah. I've seen some times where it's taken a year. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the great thing about that, I think we're probably accounting for over 40,000 wells now with just back office with 150 different clients. So I know that 
if we're not the largest, we're pretty close to the largest outsource provider probably in the United States. Awesome. Yeah. Moving in that and continuing to evaluate how to grow that business. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? So I'm going to go back. I'm going to sound like a broken record. But again, I would just tell the audience that strategic networks and cultivating new skill sets and knowledge acquisition is just key to growth, whether you're female or male. If you're trying to move yourself forward, how are you going to add value? And always be thinking about that on a daily basis because to the extent, like you mentioned, you know, getting to a place where you're not growing is not a very healthy place to be. You're not engaged. You're not enjoying what you're doing. You're not energized. And, you know, people don't want to work with people like that. Yes. They want to work <laughs> with people that bring some positive energy to the table. Right. And so how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to do that by finding those things that energize you and get you in more engaged. And typically, you know, what I've come to see in people and in myself, it's how are you going to learn something new? How are you going to build new relationships? What are you going to create today that's different from what you created yesterday? So that's one. And I guess actually, I think that that was what I'd mentioned before was the strategic networks and then ultimately, you know, cultivating those skill sets. But then getting outside of your comfort zone is a big deal. It's kind of pushing yourself. It's like me today. I've never done a podcast. I mean, how am I doing? I think you know, I think you're doing pretty well. I don't know. It kind of is <laughs> different. I mean, we're sitting here, you know, like talking into a microphone, no audience or anything. I would prefer to talk to a live audience, but this is, this is good. So you got to try new things. You just never know. Who knows? I may be interviewing you here soon. Oh, my. I know. What would that look like? Tell very, me. Very short. Tell me a lesson <laughs> learned. What is your greatest lesson learned? My greatest lesson yeah. learned is to value yourself. Oh, interesting. Oh, I like that. Value yourself because no one else is going to value you unless you have the confidence. And I agree. And, you know, tell me, uh, that leads me to down a path, actually. You know, I think... When I think about it, I spot on agree with you on that. And I think ultimately the best way you can come to value yourself is to invest in yourself from a self-awareness standpoint. Absolutely. Figure out who you are. Figure out what you bring. And that changes through your life, you know, you because you either become stagnant or you grow. Absolutely. So. No, I agree. I'm, I've done quite a bit of work with strengths and how strengths can become your, you know, constraints and work with our teams a lot from a, you know, human capital development and talent development. I've worked with our clients from that standpoint as well. Self-awareness is just so valuable. And to your point, the better you know yourself, the better you can articulate what you bring. Right. I think oftentimes people will tend to compare and think, well, I don't, I don't bring that, so I must not have value. Right? Right. Because you don't have the strength that someone else shows up with on a daily basis. And maybe you haven't figured out how to use your own strengths and or turn or turn whatever you're doing into a strength. Yeah, absolutely. So no big believer in that. Actually talked a lot about that at National Win Conference. We have a conference every other year and had a panel with just really about creating your own personal balance, story, what does that look like? And a big part of that, I guess it kind of ended up in three, kind of three buckets. One was self-management. The other one was the support system you're going to surround yourself with. 
and then the strategies that you were going to use to execute on whatever plan that you had to had designed for yourself. And so, yeah, I think it's knowing yourself, knowing what value you bring, and to add on to that is, you know, how are you going to use that in, in the market? And how are you going to communicate that? I think I'm a big fan. I'm very biased towards StrengthsFinder. It's an assessment that we use at at Opportune. I've used it at my other company that I had created. And it's really a, a very simple assessment to use to just to zero in on really what your strengths themes are. And supported by 50 years of research, Gallup organization has 150 data scientists. I want to take staff. it. <laughs> yes, actually, we'll do that. And then we'll come back and talk about that oh, on our next be, podcast. Oh, that'd be awesome. See, I'm already got, I think I can do this. <laughs> I got out of my comfort zone. Now I'm going to be a podcast host. I don't, I think this is going to work. But yeah, no, I'm a big believer. Different assessments give you different input, insights. Some are self-assessments, some are 360s. I think you just need to continue to gather information about what kind of impact you're having, but also how you're showing up. I think some people show up and they've got a lot of talent, but they don't quite understand it and they're using it in a very unproductive way. And so that's the that's one of the things when I'm talking with teams about kind of the strengths assessment and strengths finder is how do you take that that raw talent that you have or that you see in others and turn it into more mature talent where it's a very productive use it's whatever your superpower is. Yeah. You know, you see these superpowers or these strengths used in very unproductive ways, typically when people are under stress. So that's when the constraint, the flip side of your your strengths come out. And it's, you know, typically in a very unproductive way when you're when you're stressed. Oh yeah. 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 Stress can do all kinds of things to you. Yeah. So yeah. Try to avoid that as much as possible, Exactly, or manage it. Hey, today, yes. it's, I guess it's manage is the best way because everybody has stress, right? There's no way around it. Well, Deals it seems there's just like not enough time in the day to get all the things you need to get done, and and it can be overwhelming. And I, and take it from a recovering perfectionist. Oh, me uh, too. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, going, okay, that's good enough. Yeah, that took me a little while to figure out. Yeah. I've just recently figured that out. I have to have talks with myself about, do we really need to rework that? Or is that going to be okay? Right. Yeah. Right. Usually it's just, just just fine. Usually you don't need to rework it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm not allowed to listen to any of the podcasts oh. post-release because really? I will go back and edit the editor stuff. Yeah. I can see myself doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I get to hear this before it's released so I can Edit, 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 <laughs> and then or ask or ask my editor to edit whatever oh, you want that's to. That's true. Edit. We should yeah. ask him. I, I don't know how to edit. It probably wouldn't go well. It probably would not go well. That's okay. But yeah, so you know, and I think you know about the kind of three buckets. So when you think about creating your own personal balance around self management and kind of your support system and and strategies. One of the couple of the things I think I've focused on a lot is reflection, intention, and execution. So how are you going? to look at what has happened in a productive way and say, okay, that worked or it didn't. And how many can, you know, what's my intended strategy on a go forward basis? I'm going to do that differently. Right. And then how am I going to go about getting that done in a different way? So you're not just on that wheel spinning around, creating more stress for yourself because you, you haven't gotten outside of your current mindset or the way you think. I think it's a big deal. And then 
the support system, the people you surround yourself with is huge to help you with the stress management piece. And I've had to learn that over, over time because I think as, like you said, as a recovering perfectionist, you tend to want to do everything yourself. Yes. Right? yes. Yeah. Because you only trust yourself. It doesn't really work. No, does it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not. It's, uh, you just create way more work for yourself. And at the end of the day, is it really that much better? Mm-mm. Not typically. No, no. So, yeah. So what book influenced you the most and why? So the book, I would say in the last, I guess it would be this, since grad school that had had the biggest impact on me was Growth Mindset by Carol DeWick. Mm-hmm. It was actually the year I graduated. Then the following year, it was required reading for all the MBA students at Rice. So I picked it up and read it. And it was just such a fascinating read. And I think to what we just are talking about with the perfectionistic kind of mindset, I think people fall into this idea of being very fixed in their thinking. They're not willing to look at something and say, you know what, well, that may not be perfect, but what can I learn from it? And what am I going to do differently? Right? So it's get out of that. It's got to be a certain way. And this is the only way it can be. And if it's not this way, it's kind of considered a failure versus everything you do is a growth. You're going to learn from it. You're going to get better at it. And you're going to be able to leverage that experience in some form or fashion. So that book has tons of research and examples of people that are just born with a fixed mindset and how you can reshape and kind of reframe your thinking versus people that were blessed with the, hey, I'm going to just try anything. I've got this growth mindset. It's not so much that I can't do it. It's just I didn't do it right the first time, and so I'm going to try it again. And that kind of fear of failure gets removed from your thinking, which ultimately frees you up tenfold to get out there and get out of your comfort zone, try different things, understand what your strengths are better, because you're testing yourself. You're out there doing different things. But I think when you've got that fixed mindset, you don't, you're not really willing to get out and try new things. You're too afraid of failure. Yeah. But if you don't fail, how do you learn? Exactly. And that's the whole concept behind the book. So it was, it was something I highly, I've recommended it to multiple, to multiple people. Good, 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 good. What would you say is your most used business tool? So I was thinking about that. And I think I'm probably supposed to say Salesforce because we're a Salesforce implementer. (laughs) (laughs) But I haven't started using that yet. Well, then you can't say that. I'm hoping Kurt doesn't hear this. Kurt is our partner in charge over Salesforce. So, yeah. So, no. But one of the things that really is helpful for me because my mind is going 24-7. I've always got things on my mind. I'm always thinking. So, right before bed, you're trying to figure out how to close all these tabs in your brain. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't close them, you're not going to go to, you're not going to stay asleep. Nope. So I love the notes function on my phone. Really? Yes. So either I can type away all my ideas or I can dictate them when I'm driving and then I can email them to myself and figure out what I'm going to do with them. So I will tell you that has been very helpful because it helps clear my mind and free my thinking up to move on to something else. And, and just, Simple things is how I'm going to structure an email, how I'm going to structure a presentation, whatever it may be, or ideas for the future. I think having a place that you can put all that when you're on the go. So I have tried to keep multiple notebooks and put things in systems and and all that, but it's really got to be something that is 
with you wherever you go and you can you can kind of access it yeah on the go so that's been for me that's been really helpful i'm gonna have to to start utilizing that a lot more when you really get good is is when you can dictate your thoughts like when you're driving right it's never good to text and no never no No. it's actually illegal. illegal oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, at least here in the state of Texas. State of Texas, I know, I know. So yeah, so that would be my would be a tool that, and then my other strategy is not so much a tool, is just to be really smart about the teams you build because people, again, as we've been talking, bring different strengths to the table. Right. And when you get to build strategic partnerships with people that have complementary skill sets to yours absolutely increases your capacity. Now, doesn't that get sort of complicated because that group of strengths have to work together and personalities can certainly clash? Yes. How do you work through that? So typically, that's great. That Let me think about that for a second. So I think, again, what I would go back to is the better you understand yourself, you know what you're going to show up with. You know what you can bring to the table. You know how you can add value. And you develop a better way to communicate that. So when you're having a personality conflict with someone who has a different strengths skill set, you're going to be able to shift the conversation. So what I really try to encourage people when I'm working with teams and when I'm kind of trying to impact team dynamics and so forth, it's always about let's try to shift our minds from judgment to curiosity. Okay. Right? So when I would maybe work with someone that had a completely different skill set, that showed up in a completely different way, maybe less relational, more analytical, there's going to be an immediate kind of conflict. So I'm going to approach it from more human capital standpoint. They're going to approach it more from where are the numbers and what is this, how is this making sense? Now that I understand that, I can communicate that and understand also where they're coming from so that we can kind of step back and say, how can we bring, you know, these talent themes together and and create something that's more powerful than if I just looked at it from the human capital kind of side of the house versus how about the, you know, let's analyze this a little bit. So I think, again, I just want to really encourage people to take a deep dive into what drives them and what they bring to the table from a value add and what they can contribute. And then also really become very curious about what other people are bringing to the table. And when someone's rubbing you wrong every time you get together, it's most likely because you guys are showing up with two different strengths. And how can you leverage that? Because there's a lot of power in that versus just choosing not to work together. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Who would you say is your most respected competitor? So for me, I would, I would go with Deloitte. Are we talking about competitor in the workplace? Yeah. Compared to Opportune? Yeah. And I think that's only because I love Deloitte and uh, that's where You're I'm You're a little from. biased. I am a little biased. <laughs> and I think they, you know, hire great talented people. You know, David and Josh and several of our leaders are from, from Deloitte. And so I know Deloitte has done just a fantastic job growing their firm over the years. And really what I noticed when I was interviewing with them back in the day was they just had a neat chemistry in terms of the culture that they showed up with. And when you were there, you really felt like you could approach the teams and the people. And and I think that probably very much kind of moved with us to opportune because culture is really one of our 
key differentiators in the market. I think that's why we've been able to be so successful. And I think that's why people want to join our firm. And that's why we're having so much success recruiting talent off, off campus, because we have created a very unique culture. The partners there are very open to growing and learning and, and helping others develop as well. Also, while keeping our eye on the ball with our clients. And I think our clients hire us because of our ability to be responsive and know how to understand what their needs are and really understand their business and really build those, those relationships so that they can trust us to deliver whatever, whatever it is we need to step up with. So Deloitte, for sure, but I think we've, we've probably been able to make it that much better. Good. Good deal. What's your most important lesson learned? Oh, gosh. So, you know, it's interesting. There's several lessons. I feel like I'm learning all the time. But I think, again, it kind of around your theme and then the themes of the sh- you know, learning about your strengths and building the right infrastructure in your life, you just can't do it all. And you really have to create your own personal balance and you can't look to someone else to compare. You have to figure out what it is you need and where you want to go. Because I always tell people, if you don't figure those things out, someone else is going to come up with some ideas and you're going to end up wherever they think you should end up. And that's not always always going to be where you're going to want to be. Yeah. You know, so it's it's really about battling that internal conflict and and Yeah. And that self-talk, I think it's real easy to let yourself go down paths that create more stress for yourself versus just kind of moving forward, learning from the past and moving forward. That's one of the things I really enjoy about working with David Baggett, our founder. When we kind of figured out as we've done different assessments, his strength theme is futuristic. He leads with that. And so he is always, always thinking about the future and where we're going to go and how we're going to get there and what we need to do and what we need to try and how we need to invest. And I think less that's a great lesson learned for me because I can tend to spend too much time dwelling on the past. Yeah. Where I've been, like you said, you would listen to the podcast over and over again and try to, you know, you can you can do that, but your time is better invested on how you can move yourself forward. Oh boy, is it <laughs> in the past, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's more fun too. Right, right. Exactly. So why is your role now? important to the future of oil and gas? Oh, I think a couple reasons. One, I love that I'm going to be stepping into the president role for 2020. And I just feel really grateful for the opportunity to lead and serve that organization because where I'm really passionate is, again, helping people create deeper connections, helping people grow and learn and understand themselves better so they can figure out how they can add value. And I think just things we've just talked about in multiple kind of ways here is, you know, when people really understand what they bring to the table and they can create roles for themselves or they, as a leader, you can create teams that leverage the strengths of the people on your team. People are healthier, happier, more engaged. They're, they're not just the 50% of the workforce that just shows up and just shows up and that's it. Yeah. You know? I want to drive and help inspire that 30% of the workforce that shows up and says, wow, I really love my job. I want to get the other, you know, 70 on board and, and figure out how can we 
as leaders in the organ, you know, in the energy industry, find ways to engage our talent at all levels in a way that leverages their strengths and engages them in ways that that get them to really healthy, happy places, and and that they're having fun. They're doing yeah. something they enjoy, and it's not just such a grind all the time. Right, and and I see that, and I guess in my experience, I've seen a lot of. I don't know if it's office politics necessarily, but a lot of competition. So whenever you're in a group with, you know, a bunch of people with a lot of strengths, you know, the butting of heads and the competition part really has stood out to me. How do you avoid that? You know, I think... Or should you? I mean, isn't competition good, healthy? It is healthy. I think used in the right way. Again, there's the productive side of it and there's an unproductive side of, of competition and, and how it's showing up in the workplace and how, you know, it's being, I guess, cultivated within that culture. And so I do think you want to have a sense of urgency and you want to have a, a healthy sense of let's win and let's make things happen. But my hope and my goal would be for, you know, the organizations that I lead and I work with the, the teams I work with is that people learn how, again, to leverage what everybody in the room is bringing and use that to accomplish the overall team objective. And that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about Opportune as well is that really have built a culture that leverages that. But yeah, no, I think, you know, just wrapping kind of or circling back to the the competition is I think the idea of people understanding that everybody, everybody brings something good to the table. And if you can really embrace that in your culture and leverage it, you're going to be way more competitive in the marketplace than everybody internally trying to, to beat each other down and run each other over. And that's one of the things I love about Opportune, as I was saying earlier, is that it's a, one of our core values is teamwork. And, you know, David has always been very focused on how do we work together well as teams and creating an environment that drives that and the success of that. So I just, you know, that that's some of the things I'm just really passionate about is figuring out how to help people get a better understanding of who they are, what they show up with, how they can contribute, and how do they leverage the strengths of others versus maybe being critical and judgmental and just because somebody doesn't do something the way you do it doesn't mean that they can't be successful. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> so I was kind of prepped for this question, but I'm kind of liking this one. <laughs> I'm thinking we're going to be really successful here. I'm telling you, I think this is my favorite so far. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Good. Happy Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot. So... Thank you for joining me again today. Sorry about the lights. Hey, that was okay. that was a little odd. It's all uh, right. It's all good now. We can see. Yeah, I mean, that's literally the first time that's ever happened. I'm just not <laughs> sure. I, I should definitely it's tell It's a some- sign that we need to do another podcast. <laughs> Listeners out there, you need to let us know if you want me to come back. <laughs> I would love to hear. I would love that? to hear Let's from see. everybody. I don't yeah. know. We'll see what they think. Yeah. We'll do your strengths assessment. I'll interview you. Oh. 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 I've actually been thinking about doing that. Oh, that would be great. I will interview you on the next podcast. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. All right, I'm we down. got this. Now I have to I have to look over my questions and <laughs> figure out my answers. Yes, Boy. I'm going to come up with my own. I'm going to set them on the table right before you show up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> see how that Bring goes. it on. Yeah. Let's, let's give it <laughs> a go. a little competition. Let's give it a go. Speaking of, yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so if people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about when or Opportune, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, so go to Opportune.com. And I'm on the leadership page, Deanna Young. You can hit the button and it'll send you to my email. Happy. You're also on LinkedIn. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, LinkedIn as well. So multiple ways there. And happy to answer questions and have additional conversations about anything we talked about uh, today, for sure. Excellent. And I made sure to put everything in the show notes for everybody. So it's just one click away. Outstanding. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Now here's events on deck. Hey guys, we have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon for 4 to 6. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver happy hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oil Field Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora Leste Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilly, Tamora Leste. The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 11.30 in Houston. This event will cover the topic, are your PMs preventing or causing failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a disruptive energy workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush-China conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional, and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.